Hello, I'm Dick Foth, and I'd like to welcome you to Known, stories to make sense of it all. And these stories are what I call walking books, real-life people from different places, different ages, different cultures, and I want to have some conversations with them across disciplines and generations and cultures in order to encourage a kind of knowing, uh, fresh lenses through which to see the world. One of those lenses will be scripture, or more specifically, Jesus of Nazareth, whose life, I believe, changed the course of the history of the world. So, thanks for listening in. Great to have you with us. Hello again, this is Dick Foth with Known, and I have some friends with me today. Uh, Amor Olson from Minneapolis, now in New York, and, uh, and Melissa Moskowitz, who is in Los Angeles. And, uh, but we're sitting here, the three of us, in the Texas Hill Country. We're a little gathering together. And I don't get a chance to be with artists very much. And that's who you guys are. You're artists. So talk to me, if you will, about art and God and faith or just let's just jump in. Let's just have like a little table talk. So anyway, you're on. Well, I have been thinking about this for a while as an artist, uh, you know, from a young age, even as a having a gift of, of being able to draw and convey what I what I see, you know, it's filtered through me. But my goal from a young age, kind of lofty, was uh, uh, to sort of convey truth and beauty. Just okay. just a couple of minor little uh, details. Yeah, well. and, uh, and you're a painter. Yeah. So I paint uh, in, in oils. I also, of course, draw. And, and figuratively, mm-hmm. I, realism, portraits. I actually love portraits most of all. Just, really? I love people. people. Yeah, something about seeing the, the person come out from that, that picture, capturing not just the physical likeness, but something of who that person is. Your works are tremendous. What I saw last night was tremendous. Thank you. Go ahead. So now as I've grown in age and also, however, uh, in my faith in God and, and in wrestling with these questions of, why, God, have you given me this gift? What do you want me to do as an artist? What's, my, what's the point? What's the purpose? Uh, and, and with some conversa- a lot of conversations with other people who, who think through these things as well, to me it seems that, that God has given all of us human beings a unique ability above all other creatures, I believe, to, to see beyond what's around us in this material world, to see something of the transcendent, of, of the spiritual world. Um, uh, you could even describe that as having imagination, being able to see what isn't there, to, sure. to materialize even then, not only to see it and think about it, but then to actually set your hands to it and create something like that, uh, and then show others how it can be done or what they didn't realize could be seen and now they can see it. So, um, so you were referencing earlier when we had a, a, a private conversation that that God shows up as creator first. Talk about that. Well, of course, in, in, in the beginning, yeah. uh, I see that first chapter of Genesis as a very uh, uh, beautiful picture of creation, of creativity, of, of a work of art. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, as people might argue, is chapter one of Genesis historically accurate and can we really count those years as the history yeah. of and um, maybe but that's another conversation really for me that chapter is written poetically so it's meant to be 
it's meant to be listened to like a song, you know, to hear the cadences of it. And as an artist, too, in my training, I was taught, you know, don't get hung up drawing somebody's eyelashes or everything's going to end up out of proportion. Start with the general, you know, do the outlines and, and kind of narrow in little by little your details. And the book of Genesis chapter one does that amazingly. God, uh, we're told, in the beginning created everything. And, you know, the heavens and the earth. And that's the broad brushstroke, so to speak. And then uh, then the first three days, he, he does certain things like separating the lights uh, from the darkness, um, uh, you know, separating the waters from the waters, uh, uh, bringing about the land masses. The next three days are even sort of symmetrically matching to, the, to those first three days. He then brings from those lights the, the specific sun, moon, and stars. And then from the water, he creates the, the life of the sea, the creatures. And from the land, he creates... The people and the creatures that live on this earth. So I've never, I've never read it that way. Yeah. So, there so we you, go. you see this like he starts <laughs> with a big canvas, lays down a big color, then he starts to lay in some details, then he goes back into those details again. Uh, that's how I looked at that chapter, and um, and just realized that the God is uh, well, he's this great artist, and and in a way, he's also showing us how he's uh, being this creative God, and. Um, and then interestingly, too, as I read through the, the Bible, uh, there's this, you know, uh, people talk about the, the Ruach, or the spirit of God. Mm-hmm. And uh, interestingly, where, where God's spirit comes upon people sometimes, mm-hmm. and we think of the Holy Spirit later on. Uh, but, but the first place in the Bible that God's Holy Spirit is said to, to sort of reside on somebody is in reference to a man named Bezalel, who's actually an artist, who's the man that God says, I want this guy to design the tabernacle. Uh, because that's the space where people are going to come in and have this encounter with the transcendent, with mm. the one who dwells in heaven, but it's going to be on earth. Huh. And so, uh, and I really believe to, to this day that, that the kind of the purpose of artists is, are people who have been given this extra gift in a way to help others as they, as they create something that, that people just don't see or that they might look at all the time but kind of miss it. Uh, even if it's, let's say, a, a painting of a simple, you know, stump of a tree. Oh, I walk by that stump every day. But the way that artist made me look at it now, I see it in a whole new way. So um, you're helping people to see. You're, you're, the, you're the ophthalmologist of the... Well, I don't yeah, know. well, if, if we can, or at least uh, pointing them in that direction. So it's not that we have the unique ability as artists to see, but everyone does. And, and we're, we're given this job of saying, hey, let me help you see that. Mm-hmm. So, Melissa, just hitchhiking on that, mm-hmm. you grew up in what city? In New York City, in, New in York, the Bronx. In the Bronx. Mm-hmm. And your mom did this unique thing with you. She, she mm-hmm. was an well, She was an art color. historian. So an my art mother, um, for my whole life, worked in the Metropolitan Museum of Art. So I've been thinking about this while I was talking. You know, I never heard the word creativity. Um, maybe... Perhaps I heard it in college, but I didn't hear it while I was growing up. I just lived in a creative atmosphere at home. We had a a very big living room, and we had floor-to-ceiling books, a lot of which were art books. And we were allowed, from the time we were very little children, we were actually encouraged just to look at any books that were, you know, in the wall, on the wall. And so I read you know, college-level books when I was 12 years old because I was interested in words. And it also gave me a further interest in words, although I didn't consider myself a writer, um, because my mother had so many art books. 
um, I could just go and pull one off the shelf and look at these images. I really didn't know who the artists were, but then we had no money. <laughs> My children just love when I say this, mom, tell us the story about when you had no money. But the truth is we had no money. My dad had three jobs. Uh, we were four children. And but he bought books. Well, my mother worked in the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and uh, so she had a great discount. And uh, and my dad also, though he was a design engineer and he was not a creative person, he really believed um, that we should have books. So um, she took us. My parents didn't have a great marriage, and I don't know that I realized that when we were growing up, but my mother was very dedicated to taking us to the museum every single Saturday. Like our family, oh, we didn't have a car either. Yes, so we didn't have a car, and so we could take the train from the Bronx into Manhattan. So my mother took all four of us children um, to the Museum of Modern Art, which actually felt a little like a weird place to me while I was growing up, but okay, these were my friends, these these Henry Moore sculptures in the sculpture garden. I could, you're allowed to lean against them. I don't know how we did it in those days. Um, I can remember sitting there and eating and leaning against the sculptures, and also then the Metropolitan Museum of Art, which, you know, is an enormous place, but I had it memorized. Um, really? Sort of as a child, I had it memorized. Now, I did not, I was actually, in my family, my mother wanted all four of us girls to have some interest in all the arts. So we all had to learn the piano. Um, I took ballet, my sister took art lessons, then I took art lessons and she did ballet. We switched things around all the time, but I think the thing that my mother was the most intent with me um, is that she was always pointing things out to me to see. I don't know if she did this with my sisters. Um, she might have said, listen to that sound. And two of my sisters are singers. One is a professional singer, yeah. even to this day. But with me, she would say, look how many colors of green are in that tree. Now, people go, it's green. And I said, wow, it's like 20 shades of green. And so as I grew up, she helped develop my eye. But I didn't know that's what she was doing. I just thought that that's how people talk to each other. And so to bring this sort of around to, you know, Amos talking about God as creator, I think that I saw it in my family, but I actually really believe it's in all people, the ability to think creatively or to respond creatively. But many people, don't have the opportunity to have another person help develop that in them. And so I see art, God has a relationship with us. Uh He created all of this for us, and then he asks us to create for each other. Mm. And um, I benefit tremendously from my relationship with Amor because we love to talk about art, although he is a fine artist he's considered you know a fine artist um i don't paint i don't draw i do um calligraphy but i got interested in photography Ah. i found the thing that i could see the best and that was through the lens of a camera and um, i have a lot of confidence in it to this day um now i have a grandson take a lot of pictures of him but um i think that creativity is born and then developed in relationships 
and you're a very fortunate person if you have a a mentor or could seek a mentor or you find someone in a book and you go I love this person's work and you read I read everything about a particular artist if yeah. I like them yeah. then that artist is mentoring me even though they could be dead yeah. <laughs> and they probably are dead yeah. but they're mentoring me through how they saw yeah. and then I want to see like that as well I had some young guys who work on university campuses walk into my study the other day and said what old dead guys are you reading <laughs> Mm-hmm. Which is because they have a, a view and a purview, if you will, of how that works. So let me, let me see if I'm hearing correctly here. And I don't want to overstate this or oversimplify it. What I hear you saying is that an artist is a person who expresses the world he or she sees or captures it and in so doing helps other people to see. Is that is Yes, that and fair? I might add, though, helps them to see not just the world, but the transcendent within the world around us, uh-huh. the intersection of, and it doesn't always, every painting doesn't have to be a religious painting yeah, yeah. or spiritual, but I think even a, a, a simple painting, uh, there's another, uh, many great artists, many dead guys that I read, uh, there are books anyway. <laughs> I mean, uh, Rembrandt yeah. was the one who, as a little child, inspired me yeah. when I would uh, open the book. And, of course, I discovered my birthday was the same as Rembrandt's birthday. Yeah. And I thought, okay, this was meant to be. <laughs> but I realized then also that this was a man who lived 300 years before me. And here I am uh, being touched by his painting. So I just thought to myself, if I don't have to ever sell a painting in my lifetime, but if I could help touch somebody in 300 years, then I've, I've accomplished my wow. purpose. So, so... Some studies have shown, and I can't remember where I read this, but, it, but, but I did read it somewhere, that if you ask a first grade class, how many of you are artists? Virtually every little child will raise his or her hand. By the time you get to sixth grade, and you say, so how many of you are artists? Like you have one or two. What happened between first and sixth grade in your, in your mind? In, because definitions, you know, are scary. So when you are given a definition, you have to then um, meet the expectation of that um, definition. Um, I was sent to ballet school, and I would hear my mother tell people my daughter is a dancer, and I would think, I'm not a dancer. Like, I like art, or I like writing. Um, and so then I was a terrible dancer, but I danced till I was 20. And then I went, I'm not doing this anymore. But then I taught dance. I discovered that I actually had the ability to teach. And I do have the ability to teach what I know. And so um, I think that the label of artist is so scary. But I keep going back to this. We have, you know, we're with a group of people who are very bright um, today, you know, this group yeah. that we're, we're at yeah. at this conference. I believe every one of those people has creativity in them. Sure. They don't have it developed um, or they don't have it brought out of them. Right. And yet the way that God created is he brought out. He brought out light. He brought out I feel like God brought out the trees for us to look at. Like, look at these trees. 
but but the the title of artist car- carries with it huge responsibility, weight. huge yeah. weight, and yeah. so a sixth grader doesn't think perhaps they're good enough I to see. be called artists. The first graders, they don't know. They just go for it. They go for it, and, and yeah. so that simplicity <laughs> might not sustain them their whole life. Sure. But you know, if we are to to live with a childlike spirit, it means we. We ought to be willing to try or to listen or to go to a concert. You know, some people laugh, the classic, the husband doesn't like opera, his wife schleps into opera. Oh, then he starts to love opera. But why didn't he love it before? Because they never went. Just things like that. So so I think given the responsibility is is a big deal. So I have a friend, interestingly enough, who is a world-class maxofacial surgeon. His specialty is cleft palates in babies. Mm-hmm. When I first met him, and I asked him, so, Mark, what do you do? He looked at me and smiled and said, I'm an artist. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I give people new faces. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's this powerful thing. Can, can we just go off just a, just a little, <laughs> little, little direction here? I find it fascinating that the very first thing said in Scripture in Torah, and, and you both have Jewish roots, you're Jewish friends. Uh, first, the first words that God is recorded as saying in Genesis are, let there be light. I have a friend who's now gone to be with the Lord, but he, he was a spectroscopist, that is the, the use of light for scientific measurement. And, we, and I asked him this one day, you know, why? Why do you think that's the first thing? And he said, well, it's like one of the bases for the universe. And, and Einstein's, Einstein's theory of relativity, energy equals mass times square of the speed of light. The square of the speed of light is the constant in that equation. Um, there is a phrase, and I'm, I'm not sure how to say the artist's name. Is it Daubler or Doibler? Something like that. I think he, he said that color is suffering and structured light. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and of course, on the on the color spectrum, on the electromagnetic electromagnetic spectrum, that part you can see is Rojavid. You know, it's the it's the rainbow. Talk to me just a little bit as we sort of wrap this up about color. Talk to me about light and color, because I I think any person who walks the planet loves light and color. Yeah, for me, it's interesting. My my paintings are I use a very limited palette. And they what does that mean? Means I have a few colors on my palette: uh, a brown, a blue. I'm not going to specify the, the kinds of browns and blues, yeah. but it's your you know, secret. A That's yellow, secret. no, just because it's it's not that interesting. But um, and in the end, you know, it's I try to make to me I try to make color out of less color. I try to make more color. I try to make something that doesn't look quite colorful. And to to add, to make it in in you know juxtaposition appear to have yeah. color, but uh, of course I have some artist friends who say you just, you just have some pretty you know uh, mucky looking paintings. Boring. You should, yeah, yeah right. see your shadows as color, and that's true um, because light uh, is is everywhere, and even in the darkness, it's, it's so many varieties of color, and uh, it's a very powerful movie to me that came out a few years ago. Uh, called Mr. Turner about uh, the the painter Turner. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you love that painting. Yeah, and the movie, movie. was uh, about a very broken person, mm-hmm. a man who 
was a was a stodgy old guy who just made mistakes all the way. But he he had this passion for his painting, and he was, uh, you know, recognized for that. And and this idea of color and light works its way throughout the film. A woman comes in with a you know, uh, uh, prism and, and casting these ultraviolet lights and, and they're talking about how the colors are created in that way and um, uh, this just recurs throughout the movie and on his deathbed, Turner actually cries out in his last breath, the sun is God, huh. which just ties the whole thing together. Not yeah. that the sun that or, yeah. you know, that we rotate around is God in itself, but that, that there is this, the light you know, God said yeah. in the beginning, let there be light. There's this connection. Yeah. And Jesus is, we're yeah. told, the light of mm. the world. Um, mm. And so, uh, yes, I, I think we, uh, that's, that's part of what we see, as, as Melissa was talking about, just all the colors that, that are created through, uh, through this light that filters through. One of my favorite painters is Titian, uh, Italian, <laughs> Venetian Renaissance oh, yeah. painter. And... Uh, and Venice was famous for ha importing all of these beautiful um, pigments from the east, the far east, and all around uh -huh. the world because of its location. And uh, and so the, the Venetian painters became famous for the rich and vibrant colors, their beautiful, yes. rich colors, which they frescoes. Were, yeah, frescoes. But when when oil painting came along, and yeah. during which time Titian was kind of new on the scene, he became very famous for these beautiful glazes. He would glaze these colors over the underpainting, mm -hmm. and the light actually passes through those glazes, which contain these these fragments of of you know very tiny fragments of stone, essentially crushed together, uh, and light refracts back out. And through that again, so you're Good kind of night. seeing, whether you know it or not, you're seeing several layers of, of light being filtered through other colors as it comes back into your eye. And uh, wow. uh, there's a, I mean, I don't know enough of the technical aspects of that yeah. to explain it well, but uh, other than to say it's just incredible. The more you learn about that and see how uh, the magical properties of light to, to just uh, um, enrich everything. So let me let me ask you one last question. This is for both of you, and you say you're not an artist in the sense of of I'm not painting. a fine artist. You're yet. not a fine artist. But if you could pick, of of all the stories, of Old or New Testaments, any any story in the Bible, if you could pick a scene or a face, just to paint and say, this would be my. My deal, you know. I want to. I, I. I just like to be able to paint this. Which of the <laughs> stories or faces would you, would you, like to paint? And I'm if just throwing I could this at paint, you. <laughs> right. If I could paint the story of the woman caught in adultery, um, I would want to paint because it has a lot of motion to it. Yeah. Not emotion, which of course it does, yeah. but it has a lot of motion. You have the woman who is approaching Jesus, yeah. not because she wanted to, but because other Forced people are to. making yeah. her. So there's motion that has tension in it. And you have Jesus who's kind of listening. Hmm. You know, there's tension in him as well. Yeah. And then they give up they leave him so the motion away I mean if I could capture like all of those um, bits of the the whole scene and there then he is writing on the ground that has motion to it. it's actually it's funny 
you're talking about painting. I'm actually seeing these as photographs. I'm realizing <laughs> because I'm video, so right? I'm so locked into it. Yeah. But um, the face. What I would love to capture is the face of the woman when he said, "Neither do I condemn you." In that moment. How do you capture like? She must have been so puzzled that yeah. puzzled and relieved. Yeah. So I wish I could paint that. Okay, great. Anyway, <laughs> despite the fact that Melissa claims to not be a painter or a draftsperson, she uh, she is such an inspiration. Yeah. And we talked about this earlier of having those creative people around you. Uh, so I think as God draws out, <laughs> uh, Melissa really draws out. And when we work together and talk mm-hmm. together. She's inspiring, and ins- yeah. inspiration means you know filled with the spirit. Yeah, the spirit. Yeah. And so, uh, so she she inspires. So, uh, I guess one of my favorite scenes, stories, especially from the New Testament, is in John chapter nine, where where the blind man is healed by mm. Jesus, and uh, the story goes on. You know, so it's not like you capture it all in one painting. Yeah. Uh, but there's just so much wit and and humor. Uh, and, and yet spiritual kind of heavy realities and everything. And, um, you know, the, the, the man who was blind, he's a little bit sort of, uh, you know, uh, snappy here with the, with the, with the Pharisees who were sort of upset at him. And, uh, and then the parents are just about, you know, very Jewish scene. <laughs> They're like, well, he's of age, you know, uh, he, we're not responsible. He's his own guy. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and just knowing also what was going on in that, at that time in Jerusalem. Let's say I, it takes place during the Feast of Tabernacles, during uh, the lighting of the lanterns, the brilliant mm. lights that would light up the temple area. And, and so here's this man who's blind in darkness, and he comes up from washing and he can see. And yeah. uh, maybe this comes back to this whole question of being able to see. And mm-hmm. uh, so I don't know what part of that painting I would do. I want to capture some of the, the humor and the indignant, uh, you know, uh, the religious people around them, but also. Um, you know, Jesus said, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Yes. Well, <laughs> from, from Minneapolis to the Bronx, Amor and Melissa, thank you for being with me. And uh, thanks for uh, being some eye-openers for us so that we can think about uh, both Jesus and Scripture and the world in a different way. Thank you. Thank you for helping us to see better. God bless you.